Welcome, welcome everyone to the Simon Dan podcast, the place where science and conspiracy collide. We're on episode 10. Thank you all very much for uh, listening. I just want to say um, to all of the regular listeners, thank you very much for, for listening from the start. Um, if you don't know yet, if you're a listener and you're not a YouTube watcher, the podcast also has got a YouTube channel as well. Just search for the Simon Dan podcast on YouTube and you'll find it. Unfortunately, Cats can't make it this week, um, so his jingle will remain unplayed until he returns. So let's get going and we'll get our guest on uh, ASAP. Right, joining us this week is a professor of astrophysics in the physics department at Oxford, established author and presenter of the BBC institution that is the Sky at Night. It's Chris Lintot. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. You okay? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. Um, so... Uh, before we get into th to everything, we've had a bit of a, a a big thing happen, haven't we, in our skies with Saturn and Jupiter, the the, conju the conjunction, haven't we? Anything else big coming up soon in the in the world? Oh of well, I mean, it's the start of a new year, so it's always a good time to think about what what what's coming up. I think at the minute, this time of year, you've got in the northern hemisphere at least, it's about the stellar sky. So this is a great time to go out and look at the Milky Way. Yes, which I think people are surprised. You could see even I live in the middle of Oxford, and I can see the Milky Way through. From the back garden um we've got uh the perseids are good this year which is the big meteor shower in august and uh if you're a penguin then december the 4th there's a total eclipse in antarctica nice. which i think will will look amazing if anyone can get there yeah uh, but otherwise we'll entertain the wildlife but um i think so that that's looking at the sky uh, I'm quite excited. We've got uh, Perseverance, the new NASA rover, and a, a couple of other missions arrives at Mars in about a month. Yes. Um, later said... in the year, we've got the launch of a probe called Lucy that's yep. going to the Jupiter Trojans and the James Webb Space Telescope with any Of course, luck. yeah. So it's a big year. I sent my name on that, Perseverance, did you? Oh, good. Yeah, my it's, name's on there. It's somewhere. brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. It's funny, is it? There's no logic to that no. whatsoever. No. But there's something nice about knowing that your name is on uh, a spacecraft that will hopefully, hopefully, hopefully yes. land safely on yeah. Mars. My wife woke up the other morning. She said, oh, I've got an email here saying that something about Mars. And I'm like, yeah, don't you remember? We put our names down. She said, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's better than waking up to find you you bought a one-way ticket yeah, on exactly. Elon, yeah, yeah. Elon Musk's slave good, ship or good whatever. Point. Yeah, good point. Um Chris, you've been involved with the Sky at Night since the year 2000, haven't you? And it's fair to say you probably have got a prominent role now presenting the show. Was it ever your goal to be this involved or was it initially just guest appearances and stuff that interest you? Oh, the, the, the Sky at Night is the kind of random chance that you're lucky if it happens to you once in a lifetime. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I didn't, I grew up watching the show, right? As a, as a yeah. astronomy obsessed kid, I, I grew up watching uh the show videos of, of past shows and, and and sort of that's where my astronomy came from uh and so to have any involvement was, was amazing but no I, I sort of fell into it they needed a researcher somebody to, to sort of translate the astronomy for the production team i got that job yeah. um and then patrick moore who was presenting was very generous and 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 said if there are things that the show should do that i can't do he was beginning to find it a bit difficult to travel and so on course, so yeah. go and do it and so um, I really got to do what no one gets to do anymore, which is that I got to be terrible on television. Like, <laughs> I watch some of the early stuff now. Yeah. Uh, you know, everything from I haven't ironed my shirt yeah. to I, I, I still speak quite quickly. But, you know, it, I, I, so I got a chance to learn how to do that on a show that was sure. already been yeah. broadcasting. So, so yeah, no, it's, be, it's been the, the ride of a lifetime, but it, but it was complete and utter luck. 
that I was in the right place at the right time. Well, I don't want to say anything, but uh, I don't want to say kind of say that anything is going on here. But Dr. Becky came on the, on the second episode of the of, uh, of the Simon Dan podcast, and a week later she announced she was going on the Sky at Night. So you know, there's a bit of a, a correlation. No, I'm only joking. Yeah, um, well, you know, you probably know that um, you know Becky was my first PhD student. Oh, was she? Um, she didn't, uh, no, so, she didn't so, mention so that. My, by the rules of academia, anything she does now, I can take credit you for. You can claim, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. So I'm waiting for my share of her YouTube checks. But yeah. uh, every, every, <laughs> but no, but Becky, Becky's just brilliant. Yes, I think she is. Yeah. She's, she's got exactly what you need to be a science communicator, which is the ability to take something very complicated and cut it down to something very, very simple yeah. that you want to understand. And, yeah. and, you know, the other person who had that was was Patrick Moore. Absolutely. I always, yeah. I, I always say with, with Patrick, um, the rest of us, if we say, I'm going to tell you about black holes, a large part of the audience says, oh, I never understand this stuff. <laughs> uh, but if Patrick or, or, or Becky say, I'm going to tell you about black holes, you go, oh, good, I've always wanted to try and understand this. Yeah. And there's this connection. Yeah, she, uh, that, 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 that they're shared so she'll be chuffed with yeah, that comparison yeah. but it's true oh uh, well I mean yeah she will be chuffed that, that, that's the thing I got from her is that how much get up and go she's got about the topic so she's like always always enthusiastic about it it's and if you do that as a day job as well and you're, you're doing it in your spare time it just shows how much she loves it yeah no it, it's absolutely as it should be yeah um you mentioned uh, Sir Patrick Moore there. I mean, I when I first knew of him, I was a young gaming fan in the mid-90s, obviously, Games uh, games Master. Um, when I first became interested in astronomy in my early 20s, it was a very pleasant surprise to know that he was an astronomer first and foremost. So what was it like working with, with, uh, with Sir Patrick? Well, firstly, on the Games Master thing, uh, I think that's a lot of people had yes. that experience of yeah. Patrick as a floating head. And so <laughs> I was quite pleased when we did the 50th anniversary programme for The Sky at Night, we decided that. that was too easy so we made the 100th anniversary program as we envisaged that it might be okay. and we had patrick appear as a floating head oh wow uh um having been uploaded into a computer at some point so yeah. that was our tribute to, to games master because i brilliant. grew up in, yeah. in that yeah. sort of era uh, as well so that was that was fun um patrick uh, as i said he was a brilliant communicator and he was was exactly um the same off camera as as he was on he he liked to talk he liked to uh, uh, follow his enthusiasms um he had a, a wicked sense of humor maybe we'll talk about this later but you know that he had his brushes with conspiracy ah, theories okay. and, and, yeah. and winding people up mm. uh who believed in, in various things um but he um yeah, he, he as long as he was the centre of attention, that he was the most fun person to be around. But yeah. he, he did need to be the centre of attention. Oh, brilliant! That's but I, I used once to work. I used to work for a not very well known fuel company, and they had a petrol station in Selsey, uh, right. which is obviously where he lived. And I remember once I got the opportunity to go. Uh, there was an opportunity for someone to go down there, and I was like, I'm going down there just so I could say I've been like near his house. Well, people would turn up from all over the place, partly really? because he'd invite anyone who called on the phone. So being, yeah. we used to film down there, and it was this extraordinary thing that the doorbell would go, and it could be a Norwegian television crew, or it oh, could amazing. be 200 scouts who yeah. were expecting a tour of the observatory, or it could be 10 old friends he hadn't seen for years who wanted lunch, and, and yeah. sort of the household just revolved. And it was... Uh, yeah, I, I'd grown up in in Devon. I not from a particularly academic family, okay. uh, and so like to be in this place where 
it was about conversation and it was about ideas yeah. were, were, was wonderful and and I, I, I think ended up uh, shaping a, a, a lot of who I became just just that experience of being a bunch of around a bunch of mad people who just wanted to talk about space yeah. and well, about ideas I mean I imagine it was that for like that for a lot of people uh, I think like, that's right. I mean, what, yeah, yeah, the plenty of people who who wandered through. Yeah, what was his like? Because he his knowledge of the moon was was second to none, wasn't it? What what was that? Like? How how much did he really know about the moon? Oh well, he knew everything. Yeah. I think he'd spent so long looking at. So the thing that Patrick did that's almost a dying art was that he would sketch drawings, at yeah. the eyepiece. Yeah. Um, and and you know, I I don't think he would have claimed any great artistic merit. But the thing that that does, if you've had that experience of spending time with your eye on a telescope, yeah, trying to sketch faint features, it really makes you look, and it really makes you understand it. It it makes you. It's quite interesting. You can draw things you can't quite see. Okay. Because what happens if you look through a telescope is the Earth's atmosphere will will move and, yeah. and so the, the the image will go in and out of focus you get these moments of crystal clear seeing that you're almost not aware of but if you if you spend enough time there you can pull out the best bits and and you can create uh, an image and so once you do that the moon or the planets or whatever you're drawing becomes an old friend and yeah. I, I guess the modern equivalent is spending forever doing the post-processing some of the astrophotographers do oh, but yeah. no so so he really did know 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 his stuff um he would claim to be self-taught but he he knew as much certainly about observing the moon as as anyone yes yeah definitely um you personally you i mean i've read that you specialize in the chemistry of star formation is that is that right uh, that's what I did my PhD in i yeah. got a bit distracted by uh, other yeah, things I since, bet, yeah. But yeah 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 so um, I was an astrochemist but th th yeah th this is something in particular that i am fascinated in i i fondly remember learning about different stages of fusion etc during the high end higher mass stars life and things like that it's it's beautifully simplistic isn't it can you explain to the audience as succinctly as possible how a high mass star will go on to potentially seed a new star and planetary system yeah so this is the the we are stardust thing. yes so the universe starts off very simple this is why cosmologists have the easiest job in yeah. my business because the <laughs> early universe is incredibly simple yeah. and all you have is hydrogen helium and a little sprinkling of, of lithium and yeah. that's it the three lightest elements um and when you look around here there's not much hydrogen there's mm. not much helium you know but we've got all this carbon and oxygen and nitrogen and stuff yeah. and, and so what happens is that these things are produced in the cores of stars so our sun is turning hydrogen into helium uh but later in its life it will turn helium into heavier elements and bigger stars will, will go even further sure. um and so at the core of a massive star you end up with these heavier elements and then when the star reaches the end of its life however it ends um those can be redistributed to the surroundings and then you seed the next generation of stars and and the planetary systems that form around them with the heavier elements so yeah. everything that you can touch wherever you're sitting right now came from the inside of a star or was produced in things like supernovae or, or massive explosions yeah. um i rather like the fact i found out this week that um if you've got any gold if you've got a gold ring on or, or anything like that so we think that comes from an exotic explosion a collision of two neutron stars okay which which calls causes something called a killer nova which is kind of a, a great name but there are only something like five or six solar masses worth of gold in the entire galaxy okay so you you could if you rounded up all the gold in the galaxy you could make five giant 
gold balls the size of the sun and that's it which in a galaxy wow. that has hundreds of, yeah. of billions of stars it's quite something so are we saying that all the all the gold on earth is from that one collision no we think there are so they've happened over time we don't okay. know one of the big problems in this research is we don't know how well the galaxy is stirred sure yeah so so we don't know how well mixed these things are actually we know with gold it's not very well mixed because different stars seem to have different um amounts of that sort of element okay. that's produced that way but uh, we know that the stuff around us uh has been in at least two previous stars so the sun is a third generation star so this cycle has happened at yeah. least twice before in, in the local vicinity um, of, of space yeah yeah and yeah. We're, we're just the recycled leftovers yeah that's good um, it does make you think doesn't it like what was there possibly a a solar system before ours that had life and and ended up you know maybe we i mean we, if, you early, maybe. It, you, if you think about the timeline yeah the, the the universe is about 14 billion years old um the sun is about five so there was time yeah to have at least one sun-like star just form and go through its 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 oh, cycle so, so the yeah. sun will live about eight billion years but but um it's more likely that they were massive stars because big stars live fast and die young so probably yeah. what we're talking about is a very big star that lasted for only a few million years and then maybe something like um deneb with bright star you can yeah. see in the summer sky you know tens of thousands of times the mass of the sun maybe lasting for a few tens of millions of years and then in a giant explosion that scattered that stuff through the galaxy yeah so 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 yeah so you could try and understand the history of our milky way by doing a bit of archaeology by sure. looking at what's around us today and then picking up the signatures of the stars that were here in the past. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, no. So this is this is a large. I mean, the, none of this is what I worked on. So when I was an astrochemist, I was doing the other end of things. So I okay. was doing uh, as the gas as a gas cloud collapses collapses to form a star. Oh, okay. Um, it forms molecules. So this is astronomers call get astronomers tend to annoy chemists so the process okay, yeah. we just described of, of forming elements is often called chemical evolution but this is real chemistry so in those clouds you form things like ammonia things like alcohol things like hydrogen cyanide yeah um and studying those molecules tells you a lot about what's going on in the process of star formation so that that was my original is this... line of research i got very interested in sulfur compounds oh, okay uh which no one else cared about <laughs> uh which is always a good way to find something to yeah, research actually, you find yeah. the thing that no one else cares about you're ahead yeah um so so yeah so i worked on that for a while and, and then got a bit distracted is that related to gene's mass with the with the interstellar clouds yeah so the gene's mass is there's a sort of so 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 that this is the thing so to form a star you need to take a gas cloud you need yeah. it to collapse under its own gravity and the genes mass tells you how much stuff you have to have yeah. for that process to happen. But the other factor that people forget is that it has to be cold because uh, as you heat up some gas, the, the particles in the gas move faster. Sure. And so if you think about it, if you've got a, a, a gas where the particles are moving rapidly, they're not gonna collapse under their own gravity. They, they remain uh, in, in sort of a cloud. So yeah. you have to cool everything down and you do that by forming molecules and the, those molecules emit light essentially and they radiate away heat uh, and that's the form of cooling that makes stars possible so um, so, so so yeah so that that's the crucial process the, the yeah. details that well, i got into star formation because i love the fact that the one sentence description of star formation is sorted 
right? Mm. Gas clouds cool, they collapse under their own gravity, and they reach a critical density so that stars can form. Yeah. If you try and write a paragraph or a page, we don't know any of the details. Okay. We don't understand why stars are the size they are, what triggers the collapse, uh, how often they form stars once the process starts. Uh, all of this stuff is up in the air, and, and that's why I liked it. It's a beautifully complicated problem. Yeah, absolutely. So how, like you said about it being possibly the third generation, so after there's uh, been a supernova or whatever, how long are we talking before temperatures get down to the required after that oh event. yeah that's a good question i think what happened what must happen is that the debris from the supernova has to get mixed in yeah. with the existing what we'd call the interstellar medium but yeah. the stuff that's left over because never get the solar system if you if you ignore the fact we live on a planet the solar system is mostly hydrogen because the sun is mostly hydrogen yeah and so you've got to get that from somewhere so so this is really about seeding pre-existing hydrogen gas with all of these other molecules so right. so it's less about the cooling and more about how much time it takes for that mixing to happen as stuff orbits the center of the galaxy and, and moves around yeah fascinating um what would you say is the most exciting thing going on at the moment with astrophysics oh um there are lots of things uh, i think for for years i've been telling people that the most exciting thing in astronomy is the discovery of um planets around other stars the yeah. fact that we know when you go outside and look up that most stars now have planets going around them yeah uh, and we didn't know that five years ago i think that's remarkable and the way that that those discoveries are changing our ideas of wh how our solar system evolved and changed yeah uh, is it just because we've learned from these other planets we've seen spectacular arrangements of planets that we didn't expect things like jupiter-sized planets that are very close to their star um and so we're sort of getting the idea that the early years of a solar system is a chaotic place so i think that one of the facts that haven't, haven't really got into the the popular books yet that i don't understand why not other we think in our solar system there may have been 30 things the size of mars knocking around wow yeah. um and most of those will have been expelled or collided so so you can explain lots of the solar system by this but that's a very different picture Absolutely. Um, yeah. than you get from you know the nice orrery with the planets rotating forever around the sun if you have 30 of them and they're interacting and hitting each other and 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 being thrown out of the system you have a much more chaotic uh history for yeah. our own solar system uh, and we learned that by looking not at not just by looking at the solar system but by looking out at, at the systems, distant yeah. universe and and so that loop is really exciting so correct me if i'm wrong on that that i mean the only ones we're sure of are the ones where the planets are in the plane with the star with the dimming of the light so i i imagine the systems where they're not like that there must be yeah so that, that's part of the logic so you're right we do have a few other examples there are some where we're actually able to see the planets okay. move because we can block the light out from the star and there are a couple of other methods but most of them have been found as you say by a blink yeah. as the planet goes in front of the star um and and you're also right that that requires a cosmic coincidence yeah. right they have to line up but you can do the maths and discover you i think you discover for planets that are closer in than the earth 
you find only a few percent of orbits would happen if they're randomly distributed would happen to be in alignment so you can multiply the number of planets that we found oh, I see. by yeah. a factor of, of 20 or okay. 30 or 40 and that that's what gives us this confidence that their planets are really common yeah. because we keep getting lucky yeah. and spotting planet after planet um on that by the way there's a nice recent discovery there's a nearby star called Tiergarten star okay uh i think it it's maybe the third nearest star something like no it's a bit further than that but it's about 10 light years away pretty small um, so co- this is cosmic neighborhood yeah and it has planets and they are in the same plane as us just by coincidence so oh, okay. if there are astronomers on those planets yeah. they will see our planets going in front of the sun wow and they'd be able to discover us using the techniques that we've got now uh, and we'd so never that's know. my favourite sci-fi yeah. setting now. Yeah. Is that's that where is Proxima yeah. Sagittarius. That's where we should be yeah. looking for aliens. I'm stealing it. I'm stealing that idea. <laughs> yeah, I, have yourself. Yeah, I had a uh, we had Jim Al Khalili on on episode five, and um, I pitched him my book idea, uh, which was because he's wrote a couple of uh, novels about sci-fi, and it was about uh, the Earth getting hit by a giant like asteroid, and it slowed the rotation of the Earth till it was in synchronous rotation with the Sun, and there was like only a tiny little like the Terminator line where people could live and they'd survive. I'm using that yeah. now. I'm stealing. That, I mean, that's the, that's the old twilight zone idea, right? Yeah. So people, people, you probably know, people thought Mercury was like that back in the day. Yes. Cause Mercury has this strange day that's longer than it's year. Yeah. And, and so people thought it was locked. Um, and there's all sorts of great Victorian science speculation really yeah, about bet. what life would be like yeah. on, on such a world. Brilliant. Um, so, Conspiracy Cats, who's the guy who normally co-hosts with me, uh, we are both uh, people that try and debunk conspiracies on YouTube using science. Um, And a lot of those people have a strong belief that space is a fictional place, doesn't exist. So how does that make you feel, considering what you do, that there's people out there genuinely that don't think space is real? Well, I have questions. Yeah. <laughs> for starters. Right. Well, I'll be um, I'll be the space denier because I know a lot of their 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 answers. I, I mean, I, I guess I I I I need to know what you mean by not real. Okay. I think. Um. So that one of their big things is that they are they cite the second law of thermodynamics as to why there can't be an atmosphere next to a vacuum through entropy. Okay. I mean, obviously they don't because because magic pseudophysics reasons exactly yeah and they don't subscribe to gravity so they don't they're not they're not taking gravity as, a, as an answer why the atmosphere sticks to the planet so in their yeah, in did... their eyes it should be sucked off the planet oh i see so, okay so because they don't, be because gravity doesn't exist yes. either or something yeah, like that yeah, yeah, right yeah. okay i've got you um yeah no well first of all i think your people are interested because i encounter these people mostly because they send me theories of the universe okay um and and i don't have a lot of space doesn't exist i have a lot of i can explain quantum physics using one handy trick type people yeah uh and a lot of retired engineers who can play with numbers and write 150 pages on, okay. on how they've explained everything um how, but your question was how how does it make me feel um you know, in, in some way, I don't know if we're going to agree on this. In some ways, <laughs> I kind of admire it. Okay. Right? Because... I'm listening. I, I think the worst thing is not to care about science, right? So the people who upset or um, who frustrate me are the people who don't even think about the universe. Because I think 
that it's a, I just think it's sad to go about your life. I'm not saying you have to care passionately. I'm not saying you have to sure, yeah. understand what an asteroid is, but to like not look up at the night sky or not to wonder what that might be is really difficult for me to understand. Yeah. Um, so, 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 so I think at least the, the average conspiracy theorists, the people who aren't doing politics and causing trouble, yeah. but at least they're trying to understand the universe. Um, and, and often they're trying to understand the universe by trying to make observations now, that, or, 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 or or at least, you know, they're, they're using aspects of, of what they consider common sense, yeah. right? And so, but the error they make, of course, is that the universe doesn't care two figs for our <laughs> notion of common sense, right? And, yeah. and, and, and science, the scientific progress, such as it is over the last four or 500 years, is continual realization that common sense is wrong. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and so I think the most interesting thing is, is why they believe so strongly that, that they should be able to explain the universe. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a, it's a, the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning, every morning, is the idea that I can spend some of today, I spend a lot of it doing email and paperwork and all the rest of it, but I can spend a bit of today trying to work out how the universe works. Yeah. Um, and I, I, and I think that's great. Yeah, and I'm under their illusions. Common sense. So, so I don't know. Is that too sympathetic? Presumably, uh, no, you, do, do you just think they're wrong? And, no, um, uh, obviously so, they're wrong. Yeah. But, well, I, I agree with you in some ways because what what Katz and I often say is that a lot of them would make great scientists mm. uh, if they didn't have these preconceived notions before they did any sort of experimentation. There's what right. have you seen the Netflix documentary with the flat earthers? Yeah, yeah. I think it's really interesting because of the way that they talk about you know those people that once you invested an idea. Yeah, and this is true of of, of mainstream science as well. Right? Sure. Once, yeah. once you once once you're invested in believing something, then evidence that's shown to you will convince you that you're tend to convince you that you're right yeah that's just a human trait yeah. I, I think i think that 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 that's correct i think the thing that really does anger me in the way that conspiracy theorists often talk though is the way they talk about mainstream scientists yes because completely agree you know yeah. the, the typical letter i get or the video that, that you see will say you know closed-minded scientists yeah. don't want to think outside the box and Honestly, there are people in the building uh, that I work in, in in normal times that have a crazy three crazy ideas before breakfast. Right? <laughs> you know the idea yeah. that mainstream. Like, I can show you the papers. The yeah. idea that mainstream. <laughs> look, if there was half a chance that the universe was made of donuts, there'd be seven theory papers out by tomorrow morning yeah. on exactly what it means <laughs> and whether the donuts are frosted. Yeah. Because that's the game that we like sure. to pick. Yeah. Right. And um, you know, we get a lot of we've got this idea that most of the matter in the universe is 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 made of dark matter. Yes, right? Yeah, yeah. There's there's stuff that, that has gravity and interacts, but which we don't understand. And and a lot of the people who write to me want to get rid of dark matter. And they're okay. convinced that we're all invested in it because we're, you know, on the side of dark matter. There is no one I know who wouldn't rather not have to deal with it yeah weird right <laughs> yeah, if yeah. we could if we could get a crowbar because the problem with gravity well there are many things wrong with gravity but one of the yeah. things wrong with gravity apart from the fact it makes going to the moon inconvenient one of the things that's wrong with gravity is that we understand it too well and not at all right so einstein's theory does a really good job of predicting a whole load of stuff so that doesn't give us many clues 
about how to advance our theory. Yeah. So if we could get rid of dark matter and say, ah, but gravity doesn't work like Einstein said, every physicist, almost every physicist in the world would go, brilliant, let's yeah. do that, let's yeah. get grants, let's research that. We're not close-minded. We'd love that to happen. Trouble is, Einstein was pretty clever. The theory's pretty good, and we haven't found the crowbar that lets yeah. us in. Yeah. So, so, so the idea that there's this obvious common sense out idea out there um, that we're all ignoring because we're too close-minded. That's what annoys me. Yeah, I think um, you're right. Not yeah. that these people are trying to come up with a theory of gravity. That seems fine. They're wrong, um, and uh, and it's fun to think about why they might be wrong. Yeah, they're, I mean they're, they're wrong, but, but they won't you know. go. They won't go back to the drawing board. That's the thing. They're wrong, and then they continue with being wrong. They won't say, right, well, hang on, let's try something else. Yeah, and I guess I. If you spent time, you know, as an anthropologist of these things on, on YouTube, I guess 50 years ago, that would have manifested itself in badly photocopied theories sent yeah. to physicists at university departments. Yes. Now it manifests itself in, um, you know, YouTube videos YouTube, and, an, yeah. and an audience, I guess. Mm. And that's one of the things um, that, that, that me and Katz were talking about, that these some of these YouTube channels have 50, 60, 70, 80,000 subscribers who mm. are watching these these people talk about their what they think is going on and in a way we were saying the problem is the amount of the, those subscribers that are watching not necessarily the people that are that are, that are propagating these these theories yeah it's, it's, it is a bit of a worry which which leads me on to this this question actually a survey last year found that three percent of people from the uk believe the earth is flat now firstly does that surprise you and secondly have you personally had experience with flat earthers you know, I haven't had a lot of flat earthers. I think they just don't come to anywhere near me, <laughs> to be honest. They, they've um, got two. I, I get UFO, I get UFO people, and oh, I get okay. quantum deniers, yeah. and I get people who think that the LHC is destroying the world. And I get a lot of people yeah. who want to tell me about aliens, but I don't have a lot of flat earthers. I don't think that three percent is very surprising. I remember Bill Bryson, who's this brilliant oh, love, science writer, love Bryson. writer of all yeah, things. I remember him talking. He got a whole newspaper column out of a survey that said that. Uh, let me get this right. It was something to do with um, whether, um, I think it was a survey of American women, whether they wear tights above or below their underwear. Okay. And 5% said they didn't know. And he and he, he got this whole column out of the fact of like, how don't you know? Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> For starters, wouldn't you look? Yeah. Uh, it's a strange example, but but there is this one. I think five percent of people will say yes to anything in a survey. Yeah. So so that, you know, if you did a if you did a survey of the British public and said, is the Loch Ness monster um, going to appear on Strictly next next season? Yeah. You get a higher than three percent yes. So yeah. I think we're doing okay there actually. Well, the other problem um, the other problem is I guess that if you're on one of these paid survey sites, you might just go click yes all the oh, way well. through, won't you? Just yeah. to get the money. Which yeah. which then of course generates yeah. you know newspaper headlines yeah. and so on. So I think three percent's okay. And um, I guess the lunar the, the that often ties to people who don't think we've gone to the moon. Big time. And yeah. and that I think is more widespread. I think that's one actually. in five. One in five have a doubt. Think, yeah, think. and I have a doubt. So, so this is what we're saying. I think there's this core of people yeah. that make the videos in your case or, or write to me. And I kind of, they could, you know, they're the people on the Flat Earth documentary. And, yeah. you know, if they want to play at being a scientist, then fine. But it's those people who, it, it plants the seed. Yes, yeah, um, exactly. And, yeah, I meet a lot of people who say, you know, is that who, who don't believe we didn't go to the moon but know that there's some question or yeah. think they know there's some question and 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 that's the kind of thing where i think it's damaging because yes. then that 
that can easily bubble up into a general distrust of, of the scientific world. And we, we've seen in the last year where that takes you. Exactly. Um, so so I think you're right. It's about talking to the other other audience. But then I don't think we've got a very good... I Maybe, maybe you've got a better understanding of this than me. I think it's hard to design ways to talk to people who half believe something. Very hard. Without pushing them further into believing yeah. whatever it is. It is, I mean, yeah. that, that That's tricky, right? Because more evidence might not do it. Absolutely. And like, I mean, I, I can't, I think I've made almost 200 videos trying to explain why people are wrong about Flat Earth. And I've had maybe, and this is in about two and a half years, I've had personally about 20 messages saying that I've changed their mind. That's, that's that's pretty good going. It's, it's good, but it's low considering I've had ninety million views in total. So yeah, it's a pretty low percentage. And I'm not saying. I mean, there might be more people that haven't messaged me and said I've changed their mind. But that was the idea that when we first got into it, we're, we're aiming at these people who are watching the YouTubers. We're not trying to change those YouTubers' minds themselves. Yeah. Well, you might be changing the YouTube algorithm, maybe. right? So maybe, it may be that yeah. those views are coming from people who would otherwise have been directed to yeah. so so there may be a sort of blocking thing yeah but i, I, I think that the best way to change somebody's mind it's very difficult to engineer but is to be the the um the the person they know anyway yeah so so i you know i where i have life beyond astronomy so for example um we don't need to turn this into a sports podcast but you know <laughs> i i follow three pretty obscure football teams okay who are uh, they i'm a big and, football fan who are they oh good okay so i grew up as a Torquay united fan hey they're all right <laughs> um we're top of the league currently yeah. so this is good um i'm a chicago fire fan okay. okay which is a whole other story all right um and i've picked up borussia Mönchengladbach oh, okay. because i had to watch something oh, so i don't know if uh, i can get it was down. so that's a recent one but there are communities around those who know that I'm interested in astronomy and they know me from yeah. behaving slightly like a, a lunatic and screaming at players. So, and so I often get, when something happens in the news uh, to do with astronomy or to do with any of the stuff, I'll end up in a conversation with those people about yeah. astronomy because I'm their go-to astronomy in the same sure. way that, yeah. you know, if I need to understand how to fix a car, I know which of my friends I'm calling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so I think, you have to i think maybe where videos like yours can help is they can arm all of us who are yeah anti-conspiracy to have the argument so that when our family or our yeah. fellow talkie fans or whoever it is yeah. want to talk about the moon landings we know what to say yeah um and i think so 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 there is that sort of secondary effect that you should credit yourself for i think yeah i guess so i mean i think the most important question there is are you the most famous talker united fan or does helen chamberlain pip you helen, helen chamberlain wins <laughs> okay. i think um and peter cook before oh, is he it? passed on it's was peter a talkie fan so wow. so yeah so 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 you know so I mean, you're up there. both of those you're up there yeah um yeah. Now, We've just lost your entire audience. I've yeah, spent the Venn yeah. diagram for well, non-league football. I'm, and... I'm, I'm a Southampton fan. Um, oh, okay. Nice. And uh, Katz is a Blackburn Rovers fan. Uh, and we've got this little joke where I, I try and find Katz on a live stream because he does a lot of debates, Katz, on, on YouTube. He debates right. for Earthers and, and Space Deniers and stuff like that. 
And I try and jump on a live stream and I'll say, question for cats, question for cats. And he'll, he'll say, oh, here we go. Simon Dan's got a question for cats. And it'll be some ex- obscure loaded question about how bad Blackburn are. And the answer is always yeah. Blackburn. And, he, and every single time I find him, I think I'm starting to annoy him now. But um, right. <laughs> yeah, you have to be careful how these passions are. Yeah, I know. But I know. There, there we go. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to play Guess the Conspiracy. So this is the part of the show where Katz and I have both come up with a, a fake conspiracy uh, and there's another one which is a genuine conspiracy which people actually believe and your job is to try and select the one which uh, is the real conspiracy. Now, I don't want to put pressure on you but it's currently 5-3 to me and Katz. So right, okay. yeah, you, you've, got to, for the, you've got to do this for the guests. Right, here we go. Number one, large basalt rock formations such as the Devil's Tower in the US are actually the remaining tree stumps of giant petrified ancient trees. That's number one. I want that to be true. Number two. Uh, I know the game is, they're all, they're, none of these are true, right? Well, we're, so getting, the game, yeah. we're getting good at, at making them up, so. <laughs> number two, London is actually an island off the coast of the UK that is not represented on any map and which houses the elite of the world, the city we all know as London, has no real name. That's, that's number two. That's conspiracy number two. And number three, Neptune does not exist. It was a scam to help verify the false maths of gravity. Oh, that's all good. Those are all good. So there, is, um, there is one that people genuinely believe. Or claim to believe. Or claim to believe, out of these three, yeah. The London one is so obscure that I see I, I need to I don't know we haven't talked before today no we haven't but the, Lon- the London <laughs> one is if you've made that up that's genius because it's obscure enough that I'm not sure that would come out of your head okay. on the other hand it does sound some a bit like a random conspiracy generator generated it, mm, it um, I, I think the London one is. I think people believe in. You think the, that's the real one? London. I think London is offshore, and the city we know as London has no real name. That's weird enough okay. that I think people believe that. Okay, is that your final answer? Yeah, the logic is. So the tree thing. Um, I want that to be true, but but I don't think it's interesting enough. Uh, and the Neptune one. Um, why Neptune? Like you, none of the planets exist. Sure. Um, yeah, no, I, the Neptune one. I, why? I don't think. I think picking on Neptune isn't a very conspiracy. It's not a. It's not a, a kind of interesting planet for conspiracy okay. theorists. They, right. They'd say Mars didn't exist. Okay. So yeah, I'm going with London. London does not exist. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> We've done it again, cats. I know he's every listening. We've done it again. So um, the one you wanted to be true was true. The, oh, okay. the, the the devil's town in the US people there are all of those sorts of formations people genuinely believe that they are the petrified remains of ancient giant trees well I now believe that I think you've convinced <laughs> me okay that this is true and, and that's going to have implications for alien life uh, all sorts of things yeah it will I, actually I, do like, I think i think there is a use for conspiracy theory because i think yeah it is quite fun to play the game of if i believed that then what i know yeah um, uh, and it's things like do you know you you must know about the aquatic ape hypothesis the aquatic right? ape you know? hypothesis have i yeah. heard of that one so this is an idea that bubbles around in on the fringes of biology so the idea is that many of the things that 
mark us out as humans compared to other primates like the fact that we're not very hairy um evolved because we were semi-aquatic creatures okay um and it's sort of a fringe idea there's not much evidence for it it's a whole load of just so stories right so you can yeah so to to debunk that idea uh, a bunch of researchers came up with the space ape hypothesis which is the idea that we evolved the way we did so that we could exist in zero gravity perfect and it's just brilliant it's a useful tool inventing your own conspiracy theories is a good tool to think with Ah, well uh, well, uh, it was me that came up with the london one so Chris Lintot called me a genius for coming up with that one. I'll take that. Uh, I think Kat's thinking on the Neptune one was uh, some of the flat earthers and space and are quite well versed on on their gravity, like history of gravity. Mm. Like they knew that Neptune was supposed to be there because of the the the, the, the... because Uranus was exactly in the wrong yeah place, yeah. Right? So yeah, that, I think right. that's what he was going with that one. But um, yeah, yeah, no, I think I think that makes sense. I, but I haven't heard many. Con- I'm gonna keep track now but i hear conspiracy theories about mars venus saturn because it's got this weird yep. hexagon yep. that people keep telling me no one can explain and i send them back papers that explain <laughs> the hexagon and, and you know that's not okay and they don't read um, <laughs> but you know and jupiter's kind of but, but no one ever comes up with conspiracy theories about uranus and neptune so it's they? nice yeah. that they get a shout yeah. on your show it, it is that's, it that's, is that's good um, so that's now that's now six three to cats. We are storming in the lead. We were three one down at one point. And what? Who 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 scored for our side? Um, Jim Alcleedy got it wrong as well. Um, yeah. Doctor Becky scored. She got a point. Um, James from uh, was it James? From, uh, I can't remember now. Uh, oh, Amy from Vintage Space. She does a YouTube channel from called Vintage yeah, Space. Yeah, I know right? Amy. Yeah. She scored, and I can't remember the other one. But ever since, I think we've got like four in a row now. We're just getting too yeah, good but- at predicting them. By the way, for your spin-off podcast, talking to astronomers about football, Becky's a Bolton fan. I know, so just, I know. When we found, because yeah. obviously Katz is Blackburn, and we found that, we're like, oh, bit, bit dodgy here. <laughs> uh, anyway, Chris, thank you very much for joining us. It's been absolutely fascinating chat. Really appreciate it. Um, where can we find you on on your Twitter? I, I'm Chris Linter on Twitter. Yeah, okay. And I'm on Twitter almost all the time. So come come send me your th- conspiracy theories about Neptune would be particularly welcome, please. Brilliant. We'll get we'll get some of those sent over to you. Uh, we'll pop it all in the description as well. Uh, but for now, we're done on episode 10. Uh, next week, we have uh, Seek Truth, Speak Truth, who is an ex-flat earther. We're going to interview him about coming back to the globe side. But for now, we'll see you all soon. Bye-bye.